Okay, this is Neil Morse, and we are uh, musicians having coffee and talking about stuff. And I have my wonderful guest today is Bill Hubauer, or otherwise uh, known to his friends as Hubie. And yep. uh, yeah, glad to have you on, Bill. Thanks, thanks, Neil. Yeah. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Oh, that's uh, great. And 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 although I I feel like the the the, co- the coffee part of it doesn't always get enough attention, so. So I want to just really focus on on this right now. Oh wow! So oh, so you got the go. press. You got the go. press going. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's so satisfying. Oh, so good. Uh, we're gonna pour that in here. Man, you're making me jealous. I want to do that. Hey, that looks really good, man. <laughs> <laughs> so cheers. Yeah, cheers. Mine's gotten a little bit cold, but yeah, it's all right. Do you consider yourself a coffee guy? And I mean, I know you drink a lot of coffee, but like, are you snobby about it or no? Not to drink whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if I if somebody can be happy getting a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, which I can be, yeah. I think then you're not really a coffee connoisseur. No, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I I like it, and you know, like everybody else in the whole world, my relationship to coffee has been transformed. I was trying to tell who was I. I was with one of my grandkids, I think, and uh, we were having coffee like at a regular restaurant, and it was just you know like the watery stuff in the white cup thing. It's like right, yeah, I just yeah. want you guys to know this is what coffee was in America until like 1996 or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Because they're just like, yeah. oh man, that's terrible. Like you put like one little thimble of cream and it turns white. That's how weak mm-hmm. it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't I like. Wondered, I didn't really drink coffee till I was like forty. Yeah, I, I didn't drink it till I was. Uh, I think in my early thirties. But uh, and this is the question. I mean, I I drink it black, and uh, objectively, I mean, there's nobody in the world that's ever going to drink black coffee and think, "Oh yeah, give me some more of that" for the first time, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's objectively terrible. <laughs> right. I don't care. Uh, now, until you train your palate, you're, you know, to yeah, kind of focus funny? in on. And But the question is, is why do we do it? How do you ever get to like coffee? Because like, oh, this is terrible. Give me another drink. You know? Yeah. I mean, let me take, let me try it again. Oh, it's still bad. Like, yeah. How many times do you have to taste it before you start to like it? And why, why do we put ourselves through that? Yeah. There was, there was some moments, I think we, in my podcast with my brother, Al, that was, Oh yeah, it's a terrible show. Yeah, I watched it three times or so. You know, it's like, yeah, it was terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in life like that. Like, um, I don't know the, you know, the first time you, uh, especially alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I remember when I was a kid tasting a beer for the first time, just going like, "Wow, that's yeah. terrible." And then you, but you, you can train your palate till when. I mean, you're a beer drinker. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're like quite a connoisseur, aren't you? Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I'm a beer guy. I'm a craft. I'm a craft beer guy. Yeah, craft. And it's beer. the same thing. It's the same thing. Like before the mid '90s, all the beer you could get would be it's just terrible. And right. Uh, uh, it, and again, why do we why do we learn to like these things when we don't like them to start? You know. Yeah, I guess in the case of coffee and beer, it might be for the physical effects. Actually. Mm. No, I mean, I, I'm sure for many, many people, maybe that's the majority of the reason. 
reasons, but I don't really react to caffeine. And, you know, I don't really remember a time when, when I was, I'm, I'm all about the flavor on beer. I don't, you know, I would prefer that like, if I could get non-alcoholic beer that tasted good, I would just drink that. Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but, um, you know, somebody, I read a comment uh, about the podcast. It said something like, you know, something uh, saying what a terrible interviewer I am. And maybe that's because oh. I don't think about this as being like interviewing. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, I it's, hope not. It's, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be just like just guys talking about stuff, basically. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm very much, I enjoy stream of consciousness conversations. Hmm. Like just one thought connects to the next, connects to the next. And we don't have to, you know, we'll just talk about whatever. So coffee was the first thing on my mind. And so, I mean, I appreciate that. I've enjoyed the, uh, I've enjoyed the conversational nature of, uh, of the, uh, the podcast of of your style of doing it. So, um, you know, well, cool. Well, you know, uh, there's always, there's always some people that, you know, there's always everybody's a critic, right? But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't really take it to heart. I just thought, oh, well, that's because I'm not thinking of it like that, really. You know, uh, but yeah. and I'm not going to start thinking. If I start thinking about it like that, then I'll just quit doing it. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only, I mean, I only yeah. wanted to do it because it sounded like something that was fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I I like to read a few, like you know, when we obviously we've just released uh you know our new single and and video and and you read a few feedback and you know you, you know you know where you're going to get all positive feedback and you know where you're not going to get that and uh but i'm always interested in just what they're taking away from the song like how is it impacting them you know what do they like about it or not like about it but uh you know like if I were to again read the believe all the critics, you know my my key my keyboard sounds on the uh, the new single ruined the song, so I'm, <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> okay, speaking of ruining songs, we gotta tell we gotta tell this oh. thing that's become like okay, uh, it's become a staple in the Neil Morse band uh, f- phrases and lingo. Yeah, you you want to tell the yeah. story? Sure, I'll tell the story. Okay, so. Uh, let me just lead into it. So uh, everybody uh, who follows Mike on social media knows that he's all of, he likes to make these collages of uh, of um, all the album covers and different things. And he makes yeah. <laughs> he, he brought me. He a recently fresh. made. Ah! He recently yeah. He recently updated his his collage of all of his discography. Every all the discs that he you know that he's been a part of, and I I looked through them and I and. Uh, I counted them up, and I'm on 14 of those, uh, counting all the live albums and, and Morse Fests. And wow, that. that's crazy! And, yeah, and and to me, it's crazy because uh, the first time I heard Mike play was I heard "Pull Me Under" Dream Theater on the radio back in '92 or three, whenever it was, and I thought to myself, I thought this is this is kind of a cool song, but it's like this drummer is doing everything he can to ruin it. <laughs> I just, I wasn't. I, Man, you're going to get I in never, trouble. 
Yeah. Right? I never heard, I never heard like that style of that sort of bombastic playing was not something that I was used to hearing. And so to me, it just sounded like, what in the world is he doing? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, uh, so the, that my first thought upon hearing him was that, and yet now here we are all these years later and I'm on, you know, 14, you know, released recordings with him and, and, uh, he's one of my favorite drummers. Yeah. And I love playing with him. And yeah, he's, and, he's so amazing. You know, but how so did it come funny. out? When did you have the guts to tell him that? I told, I told him on our first tour in Is Europe right? with the flower Kings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, man, the first time I heard you play, I said, <laughs> man, that drummer's doing everything he can to ruin the song. So now it's like, this is something that we say in the band, like on a very regular yeah. basis. It's like, you know, Hey Eric, it sounds like you're doing everything you can to ruin this song. You know, it's just yeah. like <laughs> about everything. We'll be watching TV together and like, oh, that guy's doing everything he can to ruin this TV show. Yeah. 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 But so that's funny. And, and you know, and I, I love Mike and I'm so you know, thankful to be playing with him. And uh, I just think it's funny that it started out that way. Yeah. Know? Well, a lot of things start off really funny what they to, compared to what they turn into. Yeah. Um, you know, like how Randy, when he first, you know, he first sent me some of his demos or something, you know, he was really trying to get a hold of me and wanted me to play on his album. And, you know, the way I thought of him then, you know, compared to what I think of him now, I mean, I just, it just goes to show mm -hmm. you that you, you don't know all of what people are or what they're capable of. Right. Or, you know, you'll judge something like really early on. Um, and yeah. it, tur it turns out the man, the dude's a monster, you know, and not that I didn't, I just thought, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to say what I thought, but <laughs> well, and didn't I, uh, didn't I completely reject you? Well, it wasn't like, like I called, so I, I, you were selling, uh, we had a, I had a CD on Radiant. I had called you and asked you, it was a, I was in a Christian prog rock band back in the nineties called 10.10 .10, and we right. had a, a Christmas album and you sold it on Radiant. So I had your number from that. And, and after one came out, I was inspired to, to call you out of the blue and say, Hey, I don't know what you're, what you're doing, but you know, if you need a keyboard player for your next tour, I'm your guy. And turns out that you didn't tour that album. And you, so there was nothing going on at that point, but it was, uh, you know, there was that awkward, like, wow, you know, so, uh, wow. You think, uh, you think you're being called to do this kind of thing? Or, you know, we had that kind of conversation kind of, Oh, did we more of a spiritual you know, you were trying to, I think you were trying to see, you know, where my heart was. Was I just a fanboy calling or, or was I being led by the spirit to do it? And, right. And, uh, yeah, uh, at, at that point, you know, I, w I had felt like the Lord wanted me to stay home mm -hmm. with the kids. The kids were, you know, that real developmental time. Sure. You know, and, 
don't remember what ages they would have been, maybe five and seven or something like that. And I just, uh, yeah, so I didn't go out for a while. It wasn't until a little bit later um, I decided, ah, to heck with the kids. They can be corrupted. You know, <laughs> no, I took them with, you know, yeah. Will was getting yeah, up and yeah. singing Cradle of the Grave. And, yeah. you know, we, we started uh, doing the ministry in Europe probably around that same time around. I think the first time that we went over there to do some of the church things was right after one came out. Cause I remember playing a lot of stuff from one, mm-hmm. but I didn't tour with a band until Colin had said, Hey man, if you want to do some shows, I could put together a band and we can learn everything and you can just walk in and do it. I was like, Oh yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, he said he yeah. would like, I think he even got involved, like booking the shows, and you know he kind of yeah. like spoon fed me uh, yeah. back into it, and that that a lot of those felt really uh, really supercharged in the spirit. So I was like, oh, I guess God can show up at a rock concert. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding because I knew that from way earlier. Sure, sure. I'm, that's a joke, but yeah, I don't know. You know, you go through different seasons in your life where you're just kind of feeling different things, and at that time, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really feeling to play, but uh, right. Well, the real the reality is, I couldn't have toured then. I don't know why I, I even called you. I just um, there was no way I could have really have done it with my circumstances. And so the funny thing is, is that um, then fast forward however many years later, I started working uh, from home with a flexible schedule that I could tour. And it's it's right then is when I when you were looking to put together a new band. And, and it's kind of a miracle that I even found out about it in time because, um, and, and this is a fun story that the, the uh, um, it was being talked about on, I was on some uh, progressive rock email list or something. Yeah. Back when chat room days or something, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, um I had them. I had them all like routed into a folder automatically, and like you know, my, I have mail filters that send all these emails to this folder, and I just quit reading. It. I hadn't read. I hadn't read it for any of those for two years, mm. and I was going to click on something and I missed, and I clicked on that folder, and it popped like for the first time in two years, and it popped up, and the very top message was, you know, open auditions for uh, Neil, new Neil Morris band, and I was like, what? Wow, because that email could have been like a year and a half old for all I knew. Hand of God, you know? dude. So I, I looked at it. I was like, oh, I still have time, and so you know, all those things. Yeah, and I, I do believe that it, it, it's too. Everything just lined up too perfectly, you know, for it to be just happenstance. Oh yeah, well I'm I'm certain of all that, um, and uh, are your audition tapes out there somewhere yeah they're on youtube they're on youtube they're everybody should public, look them up yeah. look them up what yeah. bill hubarrow auditions for the neil morse band with that yeah yeah those are great and, man yeah thanks <laughs> and you know uh they're coming up on 10 years old oh my goodness Can you believe that that's crazy wow yeah. yeah and didn't you play like the star trek theme on saxophone or something <laughs> i was like trying to play I was just trying to do a bunch of weird stuff because I just wanted to be noticed because I didn't know. Yeah. 
I didn't know how many submissions you were getting. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I just want you to like notice mine. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, and so I played some sax and, and I just was like, I knew, you know, you were a Star Trek guy. So I, I thought, oh, you know, I played like the Star Trek theme on sax and just goofy stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and you, you, everybody that actually wound up, I mean, I didn't plan it this way, but, um, the people that we wound up using that I wound up using uh, all did above and beyond what was asked for in the requested email. I always, I like to tell uh, young people that, you know, if you're going after a gig, do more yeah. than what they're asking for. Give, give them, uh, give them all you got. <laughs> Right. Because uh, Eric sent in tapes auditioning on keyboards and guitar and singing. You auditioned on, you know, it was only requested for one instrument and you sent like yeah. five, right? You sent examples mm-hmm. of you know, sax and strings. And and by the way, I, I still want to incorporate more of your multi-instrumental stuff. Yeah, the problem, I, I appreciate that. And I want to do it too. The, the, my reality is, and like I'm sitting here, I got my violin out for the first time in like five years and I've been working on it and I'm really pretty bad. And (laughs) I wasn't that, I wasn't that good to begin with. And I, and I haven't, after having not played for so long, it's like, man, I'm terrible. So I'm, (laughs) I'm working on it again. So if I can get, if I can get it, get it better then we'll, well, and it's one thing to do, like, you know, to work on a piece and just do a short little audition tape or or to play yeah. something in the studio. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I play mandolin on stuff in the studio, but I have to, I have to like, tune everything and to just, like, work out some little thing. Yeah. But if I was going to, like, like take a mandolin solo live, it would be really very funny. Right. You know? I got you. Yeah, yeah. The same way. You can do things. You know, I'm... I'm only really, I mean, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm obviously very proficient on keyboard, but I'm, I, other than not being like a shredder kind of player or anything, I'm actually a pretty decent guitar player as well. But anything else I play, I play just good enough to do a specific thing that I'm trying to do. Right. Okay. I want to play this one line or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can work, I can work on it, work on it, work on it. And then I can do it. Yeah. You know, capture that moment. Um, so, yeah. I know a guy who uh, used to own a music store and he would just pick up different instruments in the store and go like, well, and do, do some riff and like, wow. He said, yeah, I've learned like a five second riff on every instrument in this store, but that's all I know. (laughs) Like he'd pick up a saxophone and go like, or something. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's, that's, that's not quite what you are, but I'm not accusing you. What I've said (laughs) I've I've done stuff like that. I got to play something that seemed really fancy, and then I basically said, "You've heard it. You've just heard everything I can do on this instrument." Right. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But your voice was such a powerful selling point for me too. I was, uh, you know, lo- I was looking for I was yeah. looking for a, a band sure. that could do, uh, you know, all these different things you know all the vocal the five-part vocal things and all of that yeah. and uh you know my range is you know limited and so i was looking for people that could hit the high notes and 
So mm-hmm. yeah, okay. And and we always tease Bill about yeah, yeah. his vibrato. The chin, he does the chin yeah. vibrato. Can you give us some chin vibrato? <laughs> no. <laughs> just watch. Just, just watch any. Just watch any of our live videos and you'll see it. <laughs> hey, there's some famous. I because I can't quote say who they are now because I can't remember. But I've seen some famous singers do that. So. Oh, I have too. I felt like um, I mean, there's nothing wrong know. with it. It's just it's there's something funny about it. I don't know. Well, the the only re. I can do the vibrato without it, but that's how I learned. When I was first learning to do it, I had I was struggling to like figure out how to do it, and so I, I found if I kind of connected the internal to something external, physical, that I can mentally think about what I'm doing. Right. Then I learned to do the vibrato, and if I really concentrate, I don't have to do that anymore. But right, I still do. <laughs> it's, and it's something that we all. That's an, we're letting you in on all the, yeah, yeah, all the private NMB joking things. We're always like, Bill, yeah. come on, do your thing. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I say, man, you get you get really up there. And, I can't, and that's that. That was new with the band. I never sang that high uh, before, um, and I it, it was on. It was on the Grand Experiment tour. Uh, I started to because you're singing a lot. Um, that was the most I'd ever sang. Like every night, every night was singing, singing, and I started. I just stumbled over a different. Uh, I have no training. I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but I, I found a way to sort of open up more to hit higher notes, mm-hmm. and that really was a a revelation so oh yeah well I, you know it was kind of a, revel- a revelation to me those first tours as a band you know after and it, by the way i remember um you know because randy had been talking about us getting together to write as a band for i don't know how long but for many months before he was he was kind of nudging me and I kept saying, yeah, I'll pray about it. Yeah, I'll pray about it. Well, when I did pray about it, I mean, I, I remember feeling distinctly like, yes, you know, it was a real yes inside. So I feel like the whole Neil Morse band thing is definitely a God thing. Um, but uh, but what isn't, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, the, I remember the, the funny, I remember when you told me uh, we were in Germany. And I can, I don't, I can picture the club, but I don't remember which one it was. I, to tell you the name, and we were did it have a the, lot of did it have a lot of female body parts on the wall, Bill? Well, I'm, I'm picturing was it the one green of those? room. It was a, it was <laughs> no, it was the green room was upstairs with all these windows that opened out, and and we could look out on the street and see all the people out there and stuff. It sounds but, like Marktala. Uh, Is that Hamburg Marktala where you're no, above the no, train tracks? The, no, not that one. No, okay. it was a different one. But uh. Um, when you told me, you said, Hey, I've been thinking, I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about doing, you know, uh, writing as a group. And, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm, I want, you know, I'm trying to affirm you. I want to affirm you. Yeah, well, that, you know, that'd be great. But honestly, I just assumed that was going to happen. It never occurred to me that we wouldn't start writing as a group at some point. Oh, really? It, it was like, it was like, you told me that. I was like, well, well yeah, of course. Of course we're going to do that. 
it, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was for you because there was a lot of because your solo prog stuff was really you're another you were in, in you know you were in flying colors in transatlantic and you were giving up control of your only prog output right that's know, right by doing that and and i did not appreciate how big of a deal that was for you now it turns out you've discovered you can still do solo prog stuff you know yeah it was like solo gratia yeah know? but 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 at the time, it was just sort of like, well, this is my only outlet of of that. I'm sure you were thinking, and and uh, and, and and I know that when I say give up control, it's not, it's not. It wasn't like a, a vanity issue. Like this is my thing and do it my way. I I know your heart. I know that it was really more about um, if you feel a certain strongly about a certain thing that God puts on you to do something a certain way, you can do it the way that you're feeling it exactly. And you don't have to, there's no compromising. Not that the end result would be bad or, you know, worse. It just would be different from what was on your heart. So I appreciate that. That's sometimes you need to just, I just need to do what it's on my heart. Yeah. Well, the main thing for me, why I pray about everything is I just feel like, uh, it's really simple. I just feel like God, knows way better than i do you know he knows whether it's going to be it's going to go well <laughs> you know he knows yeah. like if, if he's going to be in it helping us creating you know then i so that that's why you know i i uh i try to remember i did sometimes i forget but i try to remember to pray about every decision because just because god's way smarter than i am <laughs> right but uh Back to the vocal thing, you know, when we when we went out, um, you know, yeah, there was a lot of uh, tours where I was really struggling vocally. I think everybody, know, all the fans know that, you know, where, you know, I can't hit the notes at the end or sometimes just even though like at the beginning, you know, I was just like, man, just even getting my voice warmed up. You know, it's a lot of work to sing, you know, these like, you know, three hour concerts, you know, mm-hmm. being one of the main singers that uh, was uh, was pretty demanding stuff, you know, doing the Neil Morse tours. Uh, and so I was amazed at how well all of our voices, it just seemed like such a great thing to divide it up. Yeah. And it was, it was just enough. It was just enough relief for everybody, you know, especially for you, that little bit of, of other people singing was just enough and you could get through the whole tour and not have any problems. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And I wasn't, you know, I, I would give you guys a lot of the high notes. So I wasn't straining as much either. Yeah. You know, yeah. not, I, I would give you or that the way it was, we wrote it together in such a way yeah, that, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, so what a blessing. I remember one time we, when we would, didn't we just do six in a row or something? And we got yeah. offered a seventh, I think it was something like that. Like, well, we could play in Luxembourg, but it'll be seven in a row. And I was like, guys, yeah. well, what do you think? You want to do it? And and uh, yeah. it, was, it was something like that. And we said, yeah, I think we can do it. And I remember just being amazed at how good our voices were on the seventh mm-hmm. night. You know? Wow. Yeah. And I just think it's all it's all part of, you know, God working everything for good, you know? Just knowing what's a better plan. And, uh, but it always does involve that, like, 
divesting of self thing. You know, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the the more we're willing to do that, and being you know being vulnerable, like I I remember on our first on the, on the Green Experiment tour, there was talk of uh, should we use samples, some additional vocal samples to to help help out, and uh, and I actually went through and prepared a bunch and tried to figure out how we could do them and keep them synchronized and whatever. And and then when we just got to rehearsal, we just never did it. And uh, I think the only thing I did, I did it on the song grand experiment, which we have that weird, I can't remember, there's this weird vocal echoey thing that we did, but I did oh, do right. it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, um, but we, we just never really did it. And um, I'm so grateful that we didn't, that we started out just sort of going for it and being opening ourselves up for, well, maybe this won't work, but we're going to, we're going to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always better when you're really performing the thing Um, is, you know, as little samples and stuff as we can get away with. It's always, it it just feels better. I think it's, I think it's better for the audience because even if it's a little, it's always going to be a little more rough. Yeah. You know, but it's less, less to go wrong too. You know, it's like, right. You know, there's, there's been a couple times times uh, we have used like percussion backing tracks. Um, like we used, uh, uh, what's the slow song from Sola? Um, well, the end of the, is it the end of the conflict it has like that Latin kind of slow. It's like, some Latin oh, profession, uh, uh, yeah. home, uh, uh, already home, or something already like home, that. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so, so we have this percussion thing. So you know, and I am sending Mike a click to his ears, and and that w- we just was such a rare thing for us to do that. And, and it was like every night is like you know I was always so nervous every night that it was going to sync up or it was going to work right, you know. So it's just much better if you don't have to have to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you have to do it. There's just no way around it. Yeah. But we we keep it to a minimum, and yeah. thankfully everybody's just good enough to pull this stuff off. I mean, that's what that's what you need. You need to actually be able yeah. to actually do it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm I'm just so thrilled to be playing with a bunch of guys that can do that can make that happen. I, I mean, I watched. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I shouldn't, you know, I, I'm surprised sometimes like when I'll see even like fan footage of something, I'll think, wow, that, that actually sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> like somehow, somehow that was okay. We're you very know? impressed with ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not assuming that it does. Like, I, I don't like, like, I just, you know, you just do what you can do and, and then, I guess when, you know, when, when we play live, you're not always hearing the whole world, you know, you're hearing more, mostly yourself and just enough other stuff to, to, to stay together. Yeah. And a lot of times you miss out on, on cool stuff that somebody else is doing. Oh yeah. And then when you see it, you see it back live and it's like, wow, that was really great. That's why you need to go back to wedges, man. Be in the room. (laughs) I'm the only one who doesn't wear in-ears. 
And it, it's a bummer for me. Like, I'll, I'll want to go over, like the old days, like in the clubs, you know, you'd go over to the guy, the guitar player, talk and make, to somebody. Yeah. And yeah, and you'd make some joke about something, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. check out the, check out the other guy. Look at him. Oh, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no one can ever hear anything because everybody's like, what, 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 uh-huh. You know, too late. Oh, I like to be in the room and, and you know, hear yeah. as much as I can of of everybody. But it is it is delicate because you do need to have your stuff louder, in which case sometimes to, if you want to hear everybody and be louder, you're talking about a lot of volume to get above the drums. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I prefer to to have the uh, to have uh, the wedges and be in the room, except that my ears are just ringing every night. Yeah, sure. And I don't want to wear. I don't like to wear earplugs. So yeah, I don't like to wear earplugs either. Yeah, I know. So I'll be deaf long before you probably. But at least I was in the room, man. (laughs) I, I probably won't care about that when I'm going. Hey, right. Right. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, so, oh, hey, I wanted to show you this. Huh. I got this for for Christmas. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is there some Bob kind of Ross positive, positive energy, energy drink? drink. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I haven't opened it. I don't want to. Oh, that's great. Is there some kind of Bob Ross resurgence happening or something? I don't know. Always. It seems Always. like there's like a lot of young people are like into Bob Ross right now. Yeah. I wanted to have my remember my Bob Ross mug. Yeah, that had his and when you when it would get hot with the coffee, it would change. Yeah, it would do something I can't remember, but it it broke. So, yeah, I uh, my first ex- real experience. I mean, I I think my son Will used to watch Bob Ross when he was little, but I never really tuned it in. It wasn't until uh, Bill started putting it on in the tour bus after the shows. So we do these shows and meet and greets and you know all that stuff and then finally get out to the tour bus and bill would make himself a bowl of what what's that cereal you oh uh blueberry frosted mini wheats <laughs> and he's like hey man let's put on some bob right total chill yeah you gotta you gotta wind down you can't just go i can't and, and so i, I mean i i can't sleep in on the road because i have to work so that's a whole other story but i have to get up and work on the tour bus. And so I have to kind of wind myself down quickly after the show so I can get, get to sleep. Yeah. Um, and that to me, you put on some Bob Ross and just have a little bit of comfort food, a little bit of cereal or something. And yeah. just chill. Yeah. It's that, great. That, well, I wound up getting that, really into it too, man. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, you know, when, when, like we were somewhere, I think maybe we were in Europe and we couldn't get, Bob, and we were like, oh wow. Well, we, yeah, we couldn't. Yeah, we, we didn't need, have internet or on the bus. So yeah, I couldn't, get, couldn't stream it. Wow, we need sad. We need some Bob, man. But that voice just so soothing. It just like chill. It just calms you down. And yeah, yeah, you know. it's great. It's great stuff. So you were yeah. in. Tell me about the uh, apologetics and stuff. How'd that come about? Oh, so well, so you know, I mostly have just put you know played in local bands around Western Pennsylvania. Um, I, I live just north of Pittsburgh. And uh, kind of, I kind of quit playing for a while, just was frustrated. And then a buddy of mine asked me to start playing at a, 
a worship service at a church. And that sort of re- rejuvenated me. I sort of had a purpose and, and uh, so I started hanging out with a lot of other uh, Christian musicians. And um, there was these guy. we, so I had a band that was kind of a prog rock, Christian prog rock band. And we had done some shows with this group called Apologetics. That's a uh, uh, Christian parody band. So they, the, their tagline used to be, maybe it still is, Weird Al, Weird Al meets Billy Graham. That was sort of their, <laughs> their thing. Uh, you know, they would do, you know, Bible stories. They would change the lyrics to popular songs to like, you know, Bible stories. And, and a lot of them would be very witty and and would uh, right. include, you know, and, and would point. So they were, it was amusing, but they would point you to, to the scripture. You know, almost every song had like the scripture reference right in the lyric and mm-hmm. you can go and... And it, and it really was, it really was a ministry that I could see a lot of fruit in. I saw a lot of people really getting into, to reading the Bible, after being amused by the song and it referenced the scripture, so they would they would go read, read that. And what was a good so, example of that? So like they would do like Hotel California, was changed to a story about uh, Mary and Joseph, no room at the inn. Mm. Those hotel can't afford you. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, there was a pop song back in the early in the 2000s, uh, Story of a Girl. And I can't remember not who did it, but there's there was Story of a Squirrel. And it was about Noah's Ark, like the squirrel that made it onto Noah's Ark. You oh, know, really? It was, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really clever. Um, did you write any of that know, stuff? No, no, I just, I just played. So I just played in the band and then. Uh, eventually helped do record, you know, was sort of like the producer for a while. And, and I haven't really been involved, uh, other than uh, I still master every few months. I'll, I'll master a CD for them. Um, no, oh, that's cool. So they're still doing it for quite a while. They're yeah. still at it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not, they don't really gig anymore that I'm aware of. I think mm-hmm. they just put out the, put out the CDs. Yeah. But so I, I, and I mentioned work, you know, working on the, the tour bus. So I'm the only guy in our band who isn't a full-time musician. Uh, I work for, you know, I know you know this, but for everybody else, I, I work for Adobe as a software engineer. Right. And um, I was always the musician who liked his day job. And... And I found it just as satisfying the, the the creation aspect of software, creating software, just right. as satisfying as creating music. Um, I always wanted to do both. Since since high school, I always wanted to do both, and I'm still able to do both. Really, and, you started working really, on working on computers and stuff in high school. Yeah, I mean, yeah. were you in high school in the fifties? no we ever had we had uh it was like in the early 80s remember the uh sure radio shack trs 80s yeah that's what i had one of those guys okay you had to you had to load the program off a cassette right right floppy disks and and all that kind of stuff yeah Yeah. and if you wanted like when i was first got into it if i wanted to play a, a game on my computer i had to write it first wow so you had to write your own games. So you got in your 10,000 hours in the computer world. Oh, like, yeah, I did. Before the 90s hit or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so and, you're one of those guys. 
Have you ever read Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book Outliers? Uh, I've never read it. I am very aware of it. And I've had it recommended to me a bunch of times, but I've never read it. There's a really interesting t- statistic that he brings up. Is that I think he counts like the the 20 richest people of all time, like including like mm-hmm. Cleopatra and whatnot. And <laughs> like six of them were born in 1940, 1954, 1955, or 1956. <laughs> like six of the richest people that ever walked the face yeah. of the earth. And his point was that they were... Um, they were like between 20 and 21 and 22 when Popular Mechanics had the article about the personal computer. When the first buildable yeah. personal computer came out, whatever year that was, 76 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And is that like the engineers that were uh, a little bit older had kids and stuff and they couldn't leave their jobs to go spend, go get in there right. 10,000 hours on this new thing. But the guys that were just... At the right age, the Bill Gateses and all the Silicon yeah. Valley guys. Um, that was that, that. I thought that was a really interesting thing. He was just talking about like you know a lot of times it it has your level of success is is can you get started in something early enough to get your ten thousand hours in to master it before it becomes like the huge takeoff. Right and uh, yeah. If if you can do that, then and so he gives a bunch of examples of that in the book. Which I just thought that was really an interesting thing. Yeah. So, so you, I was like ten years too late, though. Yeah, you were ten years too late, but still, a lot of guys yeah. that started in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I have friends that started just like that. They were just really into it. They got early Macs and started messing around with it. Yeah. And they're like very wealthy people yeah. now. <laughs> but I took a, out of high school. I took a I took a music detour. I didn't really get back into computers full time until like, oh, 80, you know, 88, 87 and 88 around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for like at least five years, I was, I thought, oh, I'm going to give music a shot. In, um, what a, and that, that was, and that a, was your downfall. Yeah, I know. See, I would have been so much more successful in software if <laughs> right. I had not, if I jumped right into it. And it's probably true. It's probably but, true. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I just think it's such a fallacy, you know, the idea that, you know, to be successful in music, you have to, you know, to, to, you have to, you know, to make it means that you have to do it full time and it has to be like your entire identity. And it just isn't true at all. Uh, cause it depends on what your definition of success is. But, um, one of the reasons I kind of got out of music for a while is I, just realized that the thing that I loved about music wasn't there if I wasn't doing the exact kind of music that I like to do. So I just kind of got a lot pickier about what, what I would do because I just didn't enjoy certain kinds of, you know, gigs. Right. And it's like, I don't, you know, I can just make money and, on software, I don't want to. I don't want to have to play music I don't want to play or do you know whatever. Sure, yeah, because if you're or, if you're trying to make a, a living playing in playing covers in clubs, then you're talking about the end of the '80s, beginning of '90s. So, like, how much fun is it to play West End Girls? Yeah, I played that. Did you? I played it too. <laughs> I did. And, uh, yeah. You know what was the, one of the ones that I used to sing? 
I used to sing one a really funny one. Uh, oh, give me a minute. Go ahead and talk while I think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and I, I thought I thought I might. Uh, I thought when I got tired of gigging, I thought I, I had a little home studio kind of brewing, and I thought let me let me try to produce some singer songwriters because I can play a bunch of stuff. So have them come in, and I'll help them. And I started to try to do that, and if I just either either I didn't really like the songs or I wanted to do I was hearing them a different way than the artist was hearing it and it's like well you know if I can't do it the way I want to do it then I don't want to do it right <laughs> you know uh, but I know people but I know I have a, a good friend who's a who's a his name's uh, Rick Wachowski. He uh, was a guitar player for Crack the Sky, if you remember those oh, guys. Oh, yeah, I remember those they guys. They were really good. Yeah, and great. He, he's, he, he's had a studio for as long as I've known him, since the 80s, you know. Uh, and this guy, he's like, people talk about, like, the nicest guy. Oh, he's the nicest guy in the world. Like, he's one of those nicest guys. And he has the ability to put himself fully into your project regardless of whether or not it's his thing or not. And like, I would look at him and see how he could manifest all this enthusiasm for something that you know, you can't like everything, but he just seemed like he did. And, right. and, I, and I thought, well, I'm never going to be him. I'm never going to be that guy. So I'm not, this isn't really my thing to get into to producing. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why I've never really, gotten into producing anything that I wasn't directly involved in. Yeah. Um, I've tried, but it just hasn't, hasn't panned out, but it still might, you know, I'm open to it. I, it would be an mm -hmm. interesting thing to try to do, yeah. and, especially at this stage of my life, you know, it'd be a cool thing, you know, but uh, it just hasn't, hasn't turned out yet, but there are some artists that I, I like, and you have to really like the artist. Yeah, you know, I, I would. I mean, I couldn't do it like a job at all. You know, I'd have to be really pretty into it. But I'm yeah. also, as an artist, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, I think my producer style would be sort of like my pastoring style, which is like, well, you pray about it and do what you feel to do. <laughs> you know, pretty much. Like, I don't know. I don't. I've never felt like. Some people, it comes naturally to them to, to like yeah. kind of tell people what to do. It doesn't come mm -hmm. naturally to me. I, you know, I would, I can tell people what I think. I'll tell them, well, in my opinion, but to have the, the producer has, is supposed to have the last say, to have the last say on somebody else's record. I know. That'd be weird. It is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always say like, well, this is what I think, but you know, you're you're the artist, so yeah. If you if you well, like, feel it this way, then you that's what you should do. I told you this before, but but you said something to me um, this past year that really really impacted me about dealing with stuff like that, and and it was, you know, you felt you felt one way about something, and Mike felt a different way about it. And there was a you know a little no. back and forth like we should do this we should do that that whatever. never happened and and you just basically said well Mike Mike seems to want it a lot more than I do so we'll do it his way 
like, you know, respect. I've never factored in the passion, somebody else's passion into my debating philosophy. Like, if you really feel like, wow, this is really, really, this is important to me, but it's really, really, really important to them. And that has to count for something. Sure. Right. Especially with people that you respect, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, if he feels that strongly about it, okay, I'll, I'll let this one go, whatever. So that was, I, that was a revelation to me. I never considered that to me, it's always been more, you know, like this is his idea and this is my idea and you kind of negotiate and you, you know, and you know, we used to, we used to negotiate like you, you know, I would want to do something and you were like, I don't know. And then there was something else that I want that, that we had another disagreement on. And I said, okay, well, I'll give you this one. If I can have that other one. Right. Yeah. If I can put that vocal here and you can, I'll, I'll change this part over here. You do the swap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I'll buy that. Uh, I'll, you can pay me 50 bucks yeah. less. I'll buy right. that drum fill for 50 bucks. That. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. The other thing about Mike though, is that he always feels so almost, well, no, that's not true. But very often he's very passionate. Yeah, you know he's just like, "Come on, guys!" Oh, I love the way he always says, yeah. "Fulfill my <laughs> sonic fantasy." Let's yeah. just try it this the way once, and like, oh, really? Okay. And he'll lay out this whole arrangement of the song, and then we'll play it through. And a lot of times, we're all the rest of us are like, "Well, that's okay." He's like, "Guys, that was it." Come on. <laughs> like he's so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah. His yeah, enthusiasm yeah. carries has carried me through a lot of things and he turned out to be so right later yeah. on. It's like, Hey man, thanks for, we've both thanked each other for sure. like, Hey, thank you for pushing me through that part. Thank you. For, thank you for standing your ground on this thing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a really challenging thing. And it, I, for me, again, it takes a lot of prayer to know mm-hmm. like, Lord, give me the wisdom to know when to stand my ground and when to, when to give and, yeah. You know, because there's going to be a lot of give and take in any collaboration. And uh, who is sufficient for these things? Who can know? Uh, we can't always know in the moment. And we don't have a lot of moments. Yeah. You know, not, it's not like there's a ton of time, like where the Eagles sitting in the studio for two years or something. Right. You know what I mean? There isn't a ton you gotta of time. you got to make quick decisions. you yeah. got to make quick decisions. And then, you know, I mean, you, we sometimes when we have to, if we feel dissatisfied, you know, we've all flown back together. We, you know, and yeah, well, we just don't feel like, you know, sometimes it was just like I didn't feel like it was done. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I really appreciate uh, everybody being kind enough and willing enough to come back and work on it again. But man, the creative process is a real challenge, and. uh a lot of give and take, and but uh, this last album, I was just doing an interview. Um, I did an interview today with Prague Magazine, an eclipsed German thing, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you know, it's all about the new album. And the thing that amazed me about the new album was was just how easy it was. Didn't you feel like it was just easy? Yeah, almost too easy, <laughs> because that's how we ended up with like. That was the hard part. The hard part was that it was too easy to write all that material. And then we had just way too much. And we we just hated to 
to let it all let any of it go, you know, or or relegate it to the bonus bonus disc. Well, know? yeah, we couldn't agree. I mean, there were a couple things I thought. Well, I could see that on the bonus disc, uh, but then somebody else would go like, "Dude, that's my favorite song. No way!" Right. Yeah. But then we yeah. only had we had forty minutes. In fact, the Mike's board is right here. The board. Let's see if we can see it. Can you see it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you see the whole thing or Yep. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So that's that was the thing was like uh you, it was really you and Mike were trying to figure out you were trying to figure out it was after Eric and Randy left and I was kind of checked out too. <laughs> Yeah. Wasn't I? I was kind of like just breezing in and out because I thought it, but Mike's going right. to do his drums and I'll just come yeah. in and listen. But then it was like, hey, we, I think we want this to be a double, but we don't have enough material. What should we do? Yeah, we were like, I don't know. We felt like, I mean, it's a little subjective about how long the discs need to be for a double. Um, but but we uh, we felt like we needed like another 15 minutes or something like that yeah because it was like 40 and 40 and we felt yeah. like that was too short and and we thought and we tried it we thought oh we talked about a lot of different covers things so when we were talking about like a bonus disc with a bunch of covers and, and then we ended up just uh settling on in on um bridge actually no we didn't know it was going to be bridge we thought we'll do one cover and then we'll resurrect the uh um, the way it had to be from the um, Great Adventure. Um, yeah, that was uh, all you and Mike. Like I, I, yeah. I came in one day and it's like, okay, we got the plan. I was like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we, but we weren't sure what the cover idea was going to be, and then, and then Mike wasn't in the room, and I said, hey, let's. I got an idea for Bridge Over Trouble Water, and we went right. in there and hashed it out. But here's the funny thing: I wish he would. I wish this would have been filmed because this was hysterical. So we, the the way it, the song the way it had to be was originally part of a suite, so it wasn't a complete song. It didn't have a bridge, right, or anything. Just kind of a b a b kind of a song, and it was from uh, so, the Great Adventure, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. And so I, I brought up my iPhone, and I had enough sense before we came in that I organized. Um, I had like. I don't know, 30, 30 like chord progression melodies that could be like slow, ba- you know, kind of ballad you know, verses or bridges or something like that. Really? And, and Mike and I just sat through there and we just played, okay, how about this? Will this be, could this be a good bridge? And I would listen to it. Okay. And I would put it in the right key and ah, try another one. So we just went down my list of like, like Legos, just piece of like, here's a bridge, you know, <laughs> piece and, of the puzzle. And, and, and we hit on the one that we ended up using and it's like, okay, that's, this is going to be it then. So, you know, it was just, it was funny that that's the way that that was put together. Yeah. And you guys tracked that you took out the original demos yeah. and then you sliced it, cut you in. put in, you cut in the bridge of just, yeah. but it was just you and Mike, right? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. at that point, and then we all at that o- point, yeah, we all overdubbed to what you had done. But yeah. you and I worked quite a bit on the on the uh, bridge over troubled water arrangement. I think mm-hmm. before Mike. All I had up. was I, I had the idea 
I have I want I know how I wanted it to end with the big the the, the modulation bass pedals come in big harmonies big slow uh, yeah. yeah sail on and, silver girl yeah right exactly and then I kind of had an idea that like what the verses might be like but that was but okay but we need some like special sauce on this we need some kind of thing and so then you and I started working on it and I think it's fair to to say that you know uh that we were inspired by yes's take on uh, america simon carbuncle yeah america. sure and it was like it's pretty like, obvious yeah and uh and so you know we kind of that was sort of the philosophy behind the way that was approached and then we just sort of bashed it and and it really was like we had like almost no time and it was like okay we just kind of bashed it out and i hope that's going to work yeah. I really I really wasn't sure it was going to work until all the parts were in there. I know, me too. <laughs> I, I think we did the first part before Mike came, you yeah. know, and then, because he you, doesn't get around till around one o'clock or something like that. So yeah. I think we worked on a click with the down, da da down, down, da, 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 and, yeah. and then it was just like right. organ yeah. fill, da, Some kind of organ like real space, like just like placeholder <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I was totally thinking when when it broke down into that the the G what do you call it G thirteen yeah the thirteen, 13 moving yeah. thirteen chords yeah. I was totally thinking of that part in Yes's America with the da 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 on the tron yeah. you know right and I was thinking of that and but I, it was such a wonderful moment for me. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's as crazy cool as I do, but when I, I, I when I went to play the solo on that part and I played yeah. it with that crazy Ottawa sound, yeah. I just yeah. thought, this is the crazy cool thing, man. Wow, I was so into that. Yeah, yeah I still am, yeah. but uh, yeah. I kept no, I, I kept sending it. notes to Rich like more in your face. Yeah, dryer, dryer, and in your face. Yeah, because I think when I when I sent him the tracks, uh, I'm sort of the the clearinghouse of a lot of the tracks. People send them to me, and I sort of sort out because a lot of times you and I, especially you and I, will play the same parts. Like I'll do, you know, organ parts through here, and you will too. And so we kind of okay, check them out, see which one we're going to use, and and uh, and then I'll ship them all off to to rich but sometimes i'll do rough mixes here and i had some effects i had like an echo on that part you're talking about and i forgot to turn it off when i exported it got right. printed when i sent it to rich yeah that's why i kept saying dryer dryer and it kept not being drier because it was on the track right he was like it's off there's no he had nothing on it yeah. right yeah it made it sound too pretty bill yeah yeah don't want that I'd no do. and that's something i I appreciate about you uh, is the uh, that music should be ugly sometimes too. There should be, <laughs> you know, it's all about the uh, tension resolve, you know, because to get really get it get ugly and then, <sighs> right? Yeah, so. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the it's the uh, juxtaposition or the 
Um, yeah. The transitions, the, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? The contrast. Contrast. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's yeah. what makes it so great. You know, the, what makes I get up, I get down so great is it's right All next to all the stuff before. It's right next yeah. to down, 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 right? And just like, ah. Yeah. And then when that yeah. resolves, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about music, Bill. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. Well, that's probably good, man. Yeah, we've talked a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've talked really long. <laughs> yeah, that no, was good, man. It's good talking with so, you. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for having me on. I hope this wasn't somebody might find this interesting. I hope, but yeah, we sure. just we just talked. We just talked about whatever came to our minds. Yes, this is what we. That's do. what it is. It's almost it's like we how do. we write music. And this is and and truly, I you know this exact conversation pretty much could have just occurred like this if I had been there when we were just hanging out. Yeah, totally. You know, this is what I. This is just a, this is kind of stuff we talk about. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so. That's true. All right, man. All righty. But well, thanks, man. All right. Take care. Take care, we'll Bill. See you soon. God bless. Goodbye. Goodbye.